if someone were to ask me, uh, you know, what's the, what should be the purpose of, of OKRs or something like that? And I would say that it's a guidance or information that a worker internalizes so that they understand that they have a goal, right? Or direction to go into so they understand how their individual contributions contribute to the whole making progress. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, Chief Product Officer of GTM Hub. GTM Hub is the world's most powerful platform for objectives and key results, or OKRs. In concept, OKRs are easy to understand, but challenging to execute. Until now. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Alan Clement is known for developing the theories of jobs to be done and market modernization, and for inventing new methodologies and methods for engineering growth. Alan's results include leading efforts to create award-winning products, increasing revenues by millions of dollars, bringing internal alignment throughout an entire organization, and stopping costly initiatives that would have wasted time and millions in R&D. His latest venture is Revealed, a market research and growth guidance firm that helps organizations grow, align, and reveal market insights. He's the author of When Coffee and Kale Compete and is in the process of writing a follow-on book called Jobs to be Done, Understanding Needs, Predicting Adoption. My conversation with Alan is broken down into two parts. In this episode, part one, we discuss the Taylorism versus humanism approach to explaining OKRs, how understanding needs means understanding how they're created, how they grow and shrink, and then go away. We cover the voice of the customer and its flaws, and how Lean Startup solves problems that come with the voice of the customer approach. Let's jump in. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, touch on something you, you had mentioned before. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll kind of give my interpretation of that and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of comment on, on the OKR, how, that, how I would see that fitting into that. So for me, if someone were to ask me, uh, you know, what's the, what should be the purpose of, of OKRs or something like that? Right. And I would say that it's a, it's a guidance or information that a worker internalizes so that they understand that they have a goal right, or direction to go into so they understand how their individual contributions contribute to the whole making progress. Because it's, I think, because, you know, there's that, there is that, that micro macro dynamic happening, right? You know, how, how does, how does me working on you know, a new advertising feature, you know, new advertising campaign or coming up with new copy for a website, or how does me as an engineer work on improving the speed of the UI, you know, whatever it is, how does that contribute? How does that bubble up and, and contribute ultimately towards business success, which... Right. In, in our context is goal. So I think that's, and maybe that should be stated more. I've seen it portrayed in the limited exposure I've had to it as really more of like command and control. So I, I think if it's just replacing command and control, you know, Taylorism, I don't think, you know, scientific management, you know, what, what Taylor came up with back in whenever that was, 1910. I, I, I still, I don't think they'll be as effective so that's why I, I think it's important that 
and, and, and helpful, but it's if it was me as a manager, I would position it as saying, look, this is meant to help you be guided so you understand how you're valuable to the organization and, and how your efforts contribute towards everyone being successful, as opposed to yeah. here is how we're going to evaluate you and determine if we fire you or not. You know, that, that's exactly. The, yeah. Right. The, the way that I like to think about it is having centralized intent and decentralized yeah. execution, right? Yes. A centralized idea of all of us contribute to some grander thing bigger than ourselves. Yep. And then everyone's supposed to do something that hopefully is worthy of a high five from your peers yep. uh, at the end when you achieve said thing, right? Rather than, you know, a micromanaging approach, uh, yep. you know, and a burden, an additional even, I would say, process burden on everyone to have to report into this thing yep. as a monitoring schema, right? I agree with that. Yeah, I, I actually, I think it could be interesting. You know, if I'd say if, if I were a manager, for example, you know, and say that, okay, we have to, I'll, I'll make up some numbers, right? Just for conversation, sure. you know, we, we have to, grow uh, subscriptions by 5% this quarter versus someone saying, we want to grow subscriptions by 25% this quarter. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, you could, for me as a manager, if, if I were to set those, I, I would say, you know, this isn't just about, you know, the reason why we chose a high number like 20 or 25% isn't because we're just, we have greedy shareholders and, and they're just, <laughs> we're just trying to make them more money, but that we're willing to entertain more radical efforts to, to, to achieve growth as opposed to, you know what, we're, we're, we've actually, you know, we've, we talked with the shareholders or stakeholders or whomever, and we've been on a good growth trajectory. So, you know, 5%, growth or an increase of adoption will be fine. So let's just focus on incremental improvements that we can make. Right. Um, I think that might be an interesting way to, to, I think giving context, I, I don't know how, and maybe you can tell me how much context is usually given to why in your experience from what you've seen, you know, how much context is given to why certain figures are chosen or is there ever any, or where have you seen it be successful? I, I mean, in our organization, I can talk about where we are in our business we tried to come up with something that's reasonable if we have data to kind of back it up and say, yep. okay, if this is what our performance could has trended and we want to, let's say, be attractive to an investor, like yep. this is where we need to go. And then you have the context as a team to say, all right, this is how then it breaks down in terms of how many, like how we have to grow the business month over month, how much more MRR do we need to generate? And then how does that, how's everyone going to contribute to that? So I think to some degree it's possible to do that, but then there are other instances where it's like we've never done this before. Right. Yeah. We have no idea what a reasonable number could be. Yep. It's almost like this feels right. Yep. And then we look at it, and then at the end of a, a quarter, let's say, we'll revisit and then and then kind of go from there. Like, should we, if we were to rewrite it, would how would yeah. we have rewritten it? Yep. And then because we have the hindsight now do we still think we want to pursue whatever it is so that we would achieve our goal because our yeah. results were not met? And yeah. then how do we realign or rethink what the target should be so that we are like rational, but yep. still aggressive. And that's always the tough spot, I think with yep. OKRs. And so like, I think that's why this conversation is really helpful is like you're talking about the needs assessment or like the needs of uh, the customer itself. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And then OKRs are talking about what are coupling that idea then with the needs of the business to be successful in all of the different facets of the yeah. business. 
Right. And well, there's, I don't know if there's overlap there, but I definitely see like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So similarities. If, yeah. So I, I guess maybe I'll, I'll give my, my, my comment. Actually, I was, I was just writing about this. Oh, cool. Um, for the next book. And so there is, so I'll, I'll discuss my viewer experience on, on just the concept of customer needs. Yes. Right? Please. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and I'll kind of maybe start with that relationship to, to growth for, for the organization, right? Like how, how do you reconcile the concept of customer needs with growing an organization or growing a product organization, you know, whatever. So it's interesting. So I actually, I, I just, I'm, I'm playing with the, the title of the next chapter. And I think I'm going to, I called it how voice of the customer created needs myopia. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I think that first off, let's start off with in our experience in researching why people adopt products, you know, needs a consumer having needs is only one part, right? It's it's necessary but not sufficient to cause a product adoption, and I think it's real. That's something that, and because it's it's unfortunate that everyone focuses on well, okay, yeah, let's just get better at solving customer needs or learn about customer needs, and then if we solve those needs, then magically we grow. And I think it's really important <laughs> to understand that there's no underpants gnomes or whatever was on, on South Park. You know, there, there's no magic there, right? Because like, for example, think about yourself, um, you know, anyone listening or, or you, you know, I'm sure you have, you could sit down and think about all your unmet needs wherever in life, but you're not rushing out to buy a product for all of them, right? Or, you know, I'm sure there are products that you consume that are not, quote unquote, meeting all your needs. And there probably is a better version of a product that does. Well, why haven't you upgraded that thing? You know, my 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 laptop is not, it's it's good enough. You know, there is a better laptop out there that will solve my needs better, but I'm not buying it. So you know? that's the distinction between needs and wants then, right? Like surely I would want to have a better computer. Do I need to have a better computer? No. So there's this constraint thing, or there's something holding me back or saying to myself, because I've, I've been reading and thinking about what you're writing. Just yeah. curious, though. Oh, like, yeah. So that's the distinction to me is like maybe overtly thinking that everything that someone says that they need is actually not a need. It's a want. Yeah. Well, so for me, so here's how I, 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 I classify or think about needs. Maybe that, that might be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Let's start we, we, yeah, we mentioned that before. So I define a need and I get the idea I mean it's it's pretty common in 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 psychology to think of need this way but something closer maybe to the innovation space is what uh, Everett Rogers wrote in 1950 or 1960 something rather uh, in his book the diffusion of innovations and um, and you know I, I liked how he talked about needs which is basically it's that actualization gap Right. right. It's, it's who it's I a, am, where I want to be. And then there's yeah, something in the middle that's saying, exactly what right. the heck? <laughs> yeah. Why can't I be that? Thing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like, for example, um, let's, so like, I also take like a cybernetic view of, of self-regulation and needs as well mm -hmm. to goals and that kind of stuff. And so I, a good example is, is a thermostat. Right. You know, so if the goal is, you know, quote unquote goal is set to 75 and then the, environmental, te you know, temperature 
drops to say 70. Okay, I'm using Fahrenheit for, you know, your Celsius, but I'm not talking Fahrenheit. <laughs> sorry, European and everyone else yes, in the yeah, world, sorry about United that. States. <laughs> I'm thinking like, geez, like, God, they like, it's so hot over there. It's crazy. Like, we're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So like, like for me, like using the thermostat, you know, home environmental control scenario. Right. So the goal is 75, but the ambient temperature is 70. Even that to me is not a need. That's just the thermostat tells the air conditioner or the heater, right? Okay, turn on, you know, execute program, turn heat, and then it turns on the heat and then it regulates the temperature. But even though that there's like a gap there, I don't think that's still a need because the thermostat still or the system still has the capacity to regulate itself. Right. It right. can get there. Yeah, it can right. get there. Right. So whereas, you know, a need, however, would be is that it, that introduction of a constraint, right? It's supposed to be 75, but it's 70. I have two options. I can turn on the heater, I can turn on the AC, but the window's open. Mm-hmm. So that, that thermostat will never regulate that temperature. Properly. Because there's something inhibiting it. Yes. Yeah. Because so yeah. So 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 that's what creates a need, right? It's it's both the discrepancy, right, but also a constraint which prevents regulation, mm-hmm. right? Which is, I mean, it's fancy words, but just think about it, it's just, you know, there's something that I I I how I want things to be, but I can't do it because something is stopping me, right? And I think that's also important too, to to think about because it's not just because like if. If, if the consumer, you know, does have discrepancies in their goals, but is able to, you know, adapt in some way to solve that, then that won't cause them to adopt a product, you know, like they may need, like there's this concept of, of reinvention, for example, where it's like, okay, you know, I have to f- calculate expenses of something or other. I don't have any tool that helps me do that, but, you know, maybe if I figure out how to switch Excel you know, or like I'm used to using Excel. So if, if I reinvent Excel in that way, then I can kind of do that. So they are, you know, to me, that's not really any need because they're able to adapt with the tools that they're available to them. Right. However, you know, to me, a need is like, wow, I have to, I don't know, you know, the whatever it is, right. You know, I, I have to achieve some goal, but I can't like, um, oh yeah, I want to get control of my sales process. However, there's literally no way that I have, you know, our team is distributed all over the world. I have really no way of... How do I wrangle that? And there's not yes, all of yes. the spreadsheets in the world and then yes. logging everything that they ever do and then someone collating that that makes yes. sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's either, yeah. I mean, it's maybe potentially yeah. possible, but it's just so unrealistic. That no one would even try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, and so this actually gets to an interesting thing, right? Where now getting into like an interesting discussion we talked about before where it's like the idea of choosing a goal right so like like i don't believe in this idea of of like latent needs exactly because you know it's really more about the consumer maybe is aware of a goal but hasn't chosen it because they don't think it's feasible to attain ah that happens a lot it's very interesting like we did some research on so this will be in, in, in the book as well too and I think I mentioned to you this on the last call where we were interviewing, there's a tool called Woven, which helps organizations run like tests or um, get, when they're trying to hire new engineers, 
you know, gives them some, some sort of tests, you know, um, why, instead of like whiteboarding or anything like that, like, you know, here are some engineering problems to solve so we can assess your engineering, your, your coding capabilities. And it was interesting, you know, we talked to numerous people who had adopted Woven and we talked to them. We said, okay, you know, what, tell us about your old way before you adopted this whole automated system of, of giving engineering tests to, to candidates we were using before. And they said, oh yeah, you know, we would just, you know, um, some solution, right? We, we would ask them, we, we would give them a few problems that we were working on, on right now and, or, you know, give them like a small app that was broken and ask them to fix it. You know, we would give them things like that, you know, and that's what we did. And we said, you know, when did you realize that, that there was something wrong with that? Right. That, and they said, well, actually it wasn't until Woven called me up. The salesperson called me up and yeah. And said like, have you heard about this, this new way of, of automating tests? And so that was kind of interesting. So like, that's an example of how, of how a need gets created. Cause I, I think it's also really important too, right? This is something that my research does and what jobs to be done. Like one really interesting thing that jobs to be done does that I mm-hmm. think has never been, I don't say never, but I I'm, I'm <laughs> unaware of, which right. is describing how a need is created, how it grows, how it shrinks and how it gets eliminated. I think that's very important to know because I, I, I challenge, you know, anyone out there who believes that they can, oh, I, I have the magical way of describing customer needs or whatever, right? My challenge to them would say, okay, if you actually believe that you know what customer needs are, tell me how it's created. Tell me how that need grows, how it shrinks and how it goes away. Because if you can't describe that behavior, then I'm going to challenge you that you don't really know what a customer need is. Or that your framework of thinking of it. And, and that kind of makes sense though, right? Because we're talking about people. Yeah. People change, right? I like mean, they, that's the other thing too. I mean, like you know. What's around them, their environment, I mean, what they're exposed to, how they think about the things that they're doing. Yeah. You know, so, their life stage. There's all kinds of things that could affect what they may need and how that is evolving. Because we ourselves are doing that all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. a moving thing. No, so I that know. is okay. So right? I I have this like iPod Pro thing, <laughs> yes, my AirPod Pro, and I didn't know that I needed noise canceling. Yes, I yeah. did not know. Right, because I travel on the well, not anymore, but I used yeah. to public transportation, and it's really loud. Yeah, and I want to be able to focus on my way to work. Yep, right, and I had no idea that two little things popped in my ears could cancel noise and help me stay in the zone and stay chill yeah. so that I have the mindset to hop into work. Yeah. I had no idea. Right. So You're that's right? a perfect example of how a producer creates a need in consumer, right? They do that by basically moving, persuading you to move the goalpost, right? right. In some way. Like, like, like you had just assumed that this is the that, life that I got, had to well, live. This, like, because this well, see, the thing is, yeah, right. Cause I'm people, I, I mean, think about this whole COVID thing. Like people are very adaptable. I mean, right. a month ago, people were flipping the F out, but now <laughs> right. they're just like, oh yeah, you know, I just wear my mask and wear my gloves. Like they've actually adapted pretty well. I mean, it's kind of remarkable. Oh, it know? is. They're, they're queuing up at least here in Germany where I am. 
like one and a half, two meters apart. They're standing outside a grocery store waiting for a security guard to let them into a grocery store. Yeah. And no one is like burning down the building. No one is uh, attacking people to get inside. Everyone's just waiting. They adapted. It's insane. And so like this idea of, you know what? I got the needs of my customers down pat. Like I I would challenge that simply because that how? Yeah, yeah. What, so, how, how did you construct that, and then how are you evolving your definition as your customer base yeah. is evolving? So, it, you uh, know, the players even of an organization who's yeah. buying will evolve, and what yes. they need may be different. Yeah, we've seen that. You know, where our sponsors as businesses will go away, and then there's a new person who has a different idea of what they need. Yep. And then what do you do? You know. Yeah. It's tough. So it's it's. Um... I'm, I'm just going to take a few notes because I have, to, I have to write about some of this stuff, right? Um, <laughs> Good. I'm so, glad. Yeah, we're yeah. Contributing to a book as we're talking on this. Podcast. Yes. Well, I mean, this is this, this is like stuff I've written about like once upon a time, but like, yeah. I mean, like, 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 yeah. like when you're writing, or I think someone who who like my stuff who likes to come up with ideas and like, yeah, like for me, writing like someone described writing as defragging your brain. So yeah. actually, I, I recommend everyone do it, even if you don't want to be an author. Just be like, so you can articulate yourself better mm-hmm. um, to your coworkers, to your boss, or whomever. whomever right? It just think matter. about like writing about, you know, here's here's where what I think thinking. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so kind of, I mean, God, we could. This could be a whole discussion unto itself, but I most people find this very interesting. I think so. Um, and and I will. Well, I'll, I'll briefly. If you want to go deeper into this, we can. Good. But I, I can tell you, so this is my, you know, my history of, you know, how we came to the current view of, of customer needs, right? And exactly what you were just talking about and why it's, it's wrong. So the super short version is it actually begins with Walter Schuhart at uh, Bell Labs uh, in, in New York City. And this is in like 1890s, maybe like 1900. Whoa. That's where he was working there. And, you know, at the time, 100, you know, 100, over 100 years ago, manufacturing was not like manufacturing physical products wasn't great. Basically, you know, they would have some sort of manufacturing process. And, you know, because they were still mass production was still just being invented. And they were figuring all that out. And, you know, so they'd have this, you know, they'd make, okay, we're going to make a hundred radios. And then they, you know, have their assembly line. Everyone would, would make their radios. And at the end they would figure out, okay, let's test the radios one at a time and see which ones work. And if they don't work, we'll throw them out. <laughs> if they do work, then we, then we sell them. And that's how it was. And he was like, oh, this is broken. We have to fix this. So he invented what became known as the quality movement, which was the idea of his innovation was, well, instead of inspecting at the very end, right, inspecting the radios at the very end after uh, they're made, what we should do is focus on flaws in our manufacturing process and improve those, iteratively improve those. Like, you know, the machine or the guy who, you know, plugs in the speaker, right. you know, we should measure that behavior. And can that right? be done better? Yes. And then, so you right. iteratively go through one part of the manufacturing process as, as of a time. Because if you, if you, if all of the individual parts of the manufacturing process work, or, you know, work as specified, then therefore you won't even need to test. 
your qualities at the end because the radios will all come out good. Right. So that's where it started. He invented that. And then he mentored a guy named Edwards Deming, Mm -hmm. who worked for the United States government during World War II, who kind of brought that quality thinking to the government. And then because of his relationship with the United States government, he was sent to Japan after World War II to help them rebuild their economy. There's actually a great quote from Deming. And he's like, you know, I I went to Japan. I talked to the, the leaders of industry there. And I said, you know, do what I say. And in five years, you'll be competing with the West. In 10 years, they'll be demanding protection from you. Um, <laughs> and so basically what he did was that he taught them how to do quality control in the, in the shoe heart method I mentioned before. Just iteratively go through your manufacturing process and, you know, remove errors and so on. So, so that's where all that, all that quality yeah. movement. But it's actually kind of funny because... The quality movement, for whatever reason, didn't take off the United States. I don't know why, but like Schuhart's and Deming's work was basically ignored in the United States, but it took off in Japan. I, I guess maybe because the Japanese were so eager to restart their economy right? that, that they were willing to embrace quality thinking. So anyway, so now, so, so here's where the connection finally happens. In 1960s, mid, late 1960s, like 1970, this is where I... Forget their name, and sometimes I, I can't pronounce it, but there's one guy, I think his name is Akato. Anyway, the, the people who invented quality functional deployment, QFD, they had this idea that, well, you know, we are so successful at improving the quality of the product for, through our manufacturing process. You know, we have this process of like, well, we define what the specification is. Right. We measure what the what should be. We measure what the manufacturing process is actually is, and then we figure out what the difference is, and then they really like fix that. Let's do that for our customers. So let's go out and assess everything that they want from a product and find out what they think it should be. And then we'll ask them what they believe it is. And then we'll iteratively, you know, we'll prioritize those and we'll iteratively go through and eliminate those. So, like for example, we asked them like, how well should the car break braking system work? You know, and this is where you have things like the Kano model and QFD and things of that nature where it came from, right? It was about labeling, you know, what are consumer expectations of the product? What are the realities of what and that how product do you delivers? Close that gap. Yes. And then how do you close that? Right. Because they're applying that quality thinking to it. Oof. And so now, I'm seeing it come together here. Yeah, yeah. Like and it's come together. Yeah, and, and it actually, and, it, and like, did it work? Well, yes, it worked beautifully for Japan. They and, and in fact, the West started copying Japan in, you know, in the 80s. And, you know, it came over here and then you got like Six Sigma and right. so on and so forth. So, you know, all that stuff came over, but they, they copied that quality thinking both in the West now, both on how to manufacture, but also how to, quote unquote, solve customer needs. So then jobs to be done is kind of an, a, an interesting abstraction of this quality thinking. Well, if you, if I, yeah. I feel like you're getting there. Well, because, it, it's, right? I, I would say it's a response. It's an alternative. Right. To the voice of the customer and this. Because actually, see, here's the thing, right? It, it worked beautifully for, for Japan, right? Right. Let's maybe continue the story a bit. And, and, you know, they went from last to basically first place. Mm-hmm. 
So let's kind of think of Japan, you know, where they were in the mid 80s in the economy. I mean, they were envy of the world, right? The best, best stuff came from Japan, like as Marty McFly said. <laughs> but why is no one talking about Japanese innovation now or even the late or mid 90s? You know, That's everyone's saying everyone's like Silicon Valley. Right. Yeah. What happened? What happened? Yeah. yeah. You know, why, why everyone's trying to copy Silk? I mean, again, if we went back 30 years, you watch Die Hard, the movie, or, right. you know, watch all the 80s movies, they're trying to copy the Japanese, or they're like, Japanese are taking over, you know, but no one's saying that now. They're all like, oh, Silicon Valley, like, we need to be like them, and, you know, whatever. So, kind of what happened? Well, a few things. So, first off, the first thing to keep in mind is that think about all the products that Japanese industry was. Known for being the best at, you know, TVs, um, I guess computers, you know, TVs, computers, radios, CD Vehicles, players, you know, whatever. Yeah, cars. cars right? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: um, they didn't invent any of those things. They never actually really invented anything. There is the Walkman, which I guess an interesting story, which we can come back to. But mm -hmm. that was not used to the quality. Actually, I'll just tell you, that was actually created by the the head of Sony. There was no consumer research. It was just, he told his engineers, I want to be able to listen to my opera while I'm on the train, invent something so I can do this. That's how that started? Out, yeah, yeah. The Sony Walkman, the one that everybody- Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, 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 was no, wow. there was no consumer research. It was just like, I mean, ahead of the innovation, you know? And then I think they, they did some testing and figure out, can we sell this thing mass market? But originally it was like- What? You know- figure out some way for me to, to to be able to listen to my opera while I'm on these long flights and long train rides. But so, but there are some jobs to be done that he definitely highlighted there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, exactly. So, but the, the you know, the, the kind of w w w like where I'm getting at is that, so there's other things too, where like, you know, think about what was great about Japanese products, right? So they were great at improving. What existed. What yeah. existed for one, products that right. already, technology that already existed. And the other thing yeah. too is that they were quote unquote simple, like consumer packaged mm -hmm. goods. Like if you're buying a TV, you're also probably the person using it. If you're buying a radio, you're probably also the person using it. However, in software, like all that goes out the window. Yeah, because it scales, right? That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. Like you, buy you, know, it, you intend everyone to use yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. So, you know, you're, you're not, you're no longer building, you know, uh, like for example, you've moved out of the world of like physical functionality, right? right? Kind of one for one kind of, or one to yes. few relationship to yes. the product. Yeah. Yes. So now you're dealing with like, you know, like the best UI is no UI, like for example, right? Or like Nest, mm -hmm. like, you know, because of the so innovation of software and, and machine learning, you can literally have quote unquote products that you may not even know that you like own or interact with. They're just, it's just out it there just working. Work. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, in 1980s, you wouldn't have had. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's so like that happens. Software happens where you got multiple consumers of the same product. So you have different, different quote unquote needs happening from the same product, which didn't happen. I mean, whoever using the Walkman is using the Walkman. I mean, that, that's it. Right. And so like, that's, you know, so that's interesting. So I, I, so that's where I think jobs to be done is, is helpful as a response, I would say to the voice of the customer thinking. Oh, so that, that was called voice of the customer, which is like, let's figure out what that is. Because there's also some other flaws too, with, with voice of the customer, you know, again, like go back to like Kano. Okay. Let's take the Kano model. Are, are you familiar with the, the yes, Kano model? Yeah. But for our listeners, we might as well. Just oh yeah. Dive. So Kano, 
he he came up with the idea of deter, you know figuring out from consumers what like what he came up with different qualities he called them right so like he would say for example a must be quality I think a performance and a delight. There's there's different yes, kind of variations right. of that. Right. But that's basically there, there's three things that you can describe. You know, what a consumer expectations of a product. So you know, must be is like, you know, a, a product must have this functionality, or I won't even you know consider it. Like for consider example, it. right? Yeah, yeah. So like, and, and this, and since I'm going to be using this example next, you know, if if we had gone back twenty years ago and run a, a Kano survey to consumers of, uh, you know, people flying around the air, you know, people taking flights, you know, like what's a must be quality? Well, I must be able to take on my luggage on the plane. I must, you know, f- uh, a free beverage, free water is, is a must be quality. And then like, what's a performance quality? Well, maybe how comfortable the chair the seat is. is. The right. seat is. Yeah. So that's like, you know, it's, 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 scales like you know like the the better it performs you know the more happy i am there is a minimum but you know more comfortably make it the better and then there are like delight qualities like which is things that are not necessary but will get you excited sometimes they're called exciters excited about using the service like maybe the flight attendants yes yeah exactly or you know in first class you get right right you know well like maybe uh you know maybe they yeah maybe they will randomly uh, upgrade people to first class, right, or maybe right. the flight attendants uh, do a jingle, whatever it is. It's, it's like something that's just kind of on top. Is, right? Yeah, on top, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so again, thinking about voice of the customer, where it came from, and and some some flaws with this. So we've identified kind of one ish, or at least a few, which is like it's really meant to improve existing innovations and products, not necessarily create something entirely new. So that, that's kind of one issue with voice of the customer. Again, voice of the customer was, that was created at, at QFD. When they invented QFD, they call it they called the input to their whole matrix thing the voice of the customer. So it was like, oh, it's meant to capture the voice of the customer and help us translate to what we should change in the product. Right. Well, anyway, so so one thing it's missing is that well, it's meant to improve upon existing products and services, right? You know. You, you own a car, tell us how your experience using our car, tell us how we, you think we should improve it. That's, mm-hmm. that's what's, what's kind of required. You know, the other thing, right, which, which, which I'll kind of get to is um, and another issue, and I'll use the, the condo example is here, is that, and what we just talked about before, it assumes that like needs are like static or like it looks at needs one at a time. And that's not how it works. Right. right? But, see, but, but again, like, but see, like, they're, they're I bringing, get it. Yeah, well, they're bringing quality thinking. They think like, well, when we improve a manufacturing process, you look at each step and improve it one at a time. Right. Right. But so, like for example, you know, like 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 when you're doing a Kano survey to to say potentially to your customers or consumer whoever, you ask them features one at a time, Mm -hmm. right? But again, that's not how we really experience products. We experience them as as bundles, right? Holistically. Right. right. Yeah. And, and so like, that's one like big flaw with like these kinds of like so much of how quote unquote needs analysis is done today is 
if you're studying these needs one at a time, I mean, that's just not how people experience your product. Well, beyond that, you're ending up in a position where it's incremental, right? You're yes. Not or, making, yeah, or, or yeah, right? that too Obviously, also. Yep. that's the obvious thing is that it's, you're not pushing the, the innovation envelope when you're like, we're going to tweak this one thing yes. and then we'll do the next thing. You're, yeah. you're stuck in incrementalism, which yep. the Silicon it, Valley, when everyone's looking at the Valley, they're saying that's not what they do there. Right. They're making these big shifts. Yes. How are they doing that? Yep. Right? Yeah, because they're thinking more holistically, right? Yes, exactly. The experience now, I mean, I remember when I started in tech, like we didn't talk about the the customer experience as a whole thing. It was like, here's customer support and here's tech support. And there were all of these factions. And now you say, when you say we need to be customer centric, you're thinking about the entire experience from when they're touching your product, when they're contacting customer success because something didn't go well when they need to submit some issue that they had with it with technical support, you know, how they're being marketed to, what kind of emails they're getting, all this stuff goes together. That's the holistic experience and you got to attack exactly. it all at once, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about moving beyond just thinking about product functionality. Totally. And, and one thing at a time. Like, for example, and you're right, like in, in, in a voice to the customer analysis, I mean, maybe you could, but not in the spirit of it. You wouldn't ask that. It does not compute for, you know, how good is our customer support? Right. Right. Because like how it's all about quickly like, they got to you or yes, whatever. Yeah. Because, right? you know, that's just kind of like intangible thing or whatever. It's not like, well, what feature do we need to build in the product, you know, need? But, you know, that, that's people will abandon a service. It was like, your product is great, but your support was horrible. Exactly. So I switched to maybe even a worse product, but their support was great. They were so, really responsive and, yes. you know, super helpful. And they, you know, they helped me use the product better than I didn't yes. know I could do before. That yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah. There, there's that. And then the other, uh, so the other kind of issue, again, with like this kind of voice to the customer approach, you know, looking at needs, yeah. asking consumers one at a time piecemeal, like, you know, what's wrong with the product or what should we improve? The other thing too, which is, you know, once you realize it's like one of those things that like once you see, you'll never unsee. Is that like, for example, you never ask about price? No, that's true. How I mean, I don't understand. How can you determine if something is a must be or performance quality if you never ask about price? Mm-hmm. And that's like, for example, what the airline industry learned, right? That's why these low cost carriers, quote unquote, came out of nowhere, right? Well, it's because <laughs> airline industries never thought, wait a minute. We just assumed that like free, like water should be free because that's what our you know needs analysis does. Consumers have this expectation of free water, and we just assume that's how it should be. Right. But they never thought they never like asked about price. Like, well, wait, what what if we made it ten euros? Like, what will like? What would happen? What would happen right? if we, if we made a yeah. flight from you know Berlin to f- Paris for fifteen euros or whatever it is? You know, I'm not sure the exact price, but yeah, you're not you know, too far off. Honestly. Yeah, 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 yeah. euros, <laughs> except you know, yeah. except well, you know, if they do, they want to bring any luggage like of any exactly. kind, like a backpack, right? even. Well, they have to pay. Do they actually want a boarding pass? They have to pay for that, and which is again inconceivable in the former, in the voice of the customer thing of like separating needs and literally going through them and statically prioritizing them, which again, for a manufacturing process, you can do because that factory is not changing from day to day, like mm-hmm. unless you act upon it. But that, you know, if I close down a factory and come back a year later, it's going to be exactly the same. Whereas people are always changing. They're always responding to their environment. They're considering alternatives. They're changing themselves. Their goals are changing. 
their expectations are always changing, their experiences. I mean, everything's always fluid. So that's why, you know, I'm, I'm kind of building up, but that's why basically I, you know, I, I recommend, and I, th I, th I think this is kind of where I've seen a big trap of product people, for example, is basically I think why, you know, growth has been, one part of why growth has been so, so challenging and why product teams have been struggling for, you know, 20 or 30 years, you know, they keep saying we need a better way to describe customer needs or whatever, but that's, that's the error. That's the flaw mm. because you're trying to describe, you know, like there's that, that Greek expression, I forget who it is. I don't know if it's, if it's a Heraclitus or whoever who, who said like, you never step in the same river twice. It's like, you're trying to describe something as dynamic in in static terms. And you can't do that. You know, and so I, but I understand, but then, then you say, well, how do you reconcile? I was about to say, then, okay, if we know. How do you figure out what I to build? Right. Yeah. If I can't step in, in this moving body of water at the same place. Yes. Uh, which is the analogy to human beings are going to always change. What we yes. need is going to change. Our environments are changing. How we perceive our environment is changing. How much money we make may change. Yes. Yep. Our family situations may change. Yep. Then how, as a product person. Yeah. Do you try to work with what what feels like a dynamic team yep. with you know dynamic tools yep. and a dynamic customer? Everything yeah. is moving. Yeah. Alan. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I understand. I've I've been there. You know, I've I've been there. And that's why, and I think kind of what you were talking about before about the allusion to Silicon Valley and why they beat out the Japanese or why the Japanese kind of hit a hit a wall. Mm. If you think about kind of the classic, you know, great innovate quote, however you want to describe it, but whatever, like these kind of leaps and bounds that come out of Silicon Valley, how little they think about customer needs. What I mean by that is like, you know, having it well fleshed out and described and like having everything prioritized and everything. They were solution driven. That's where the lean startup came from, actually. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, well, actually, this is put something in front of people and see how they react to it. Right. Let's cut the prices to 10 euro, 15 euro and see if anyone will buy a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then, you know, then see what happens. So that's, so it's yeah. actually the lean startup is the, is, is the step in the right direction that solves all the problems of that cut that or the wall that you hit with voice of the customer. Now, right. again, I don't want to say voice of customer is all wrong because right. Japan dominated the world, but get think about it's a strategy. If you don't, if you just want to improve existing products, then it's and It'll yeah, work. that's It'll it, work. right? If, 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 and also if, again, Japan's only road to growth, like they were bottom of the barrel, they were, they were worst. So they only had one way to go, which was by making a better product. Right. So like, that's how they won, but that's the only, like, you know, that's a great growth strategy. That's the only time where I would say that growth strategy works. We're improving incremental improvement on an existing product. On existing product will work. It's like, well, you know, yeah, you know, we we make a CRM or whatever, and you know, we make the worst CRM out there. <laughs> so okay, well then let's do like a voice to the customer approach, and then and we'll then iteratively how do we make a better CRM. Yeah, like because we, we make the worst already. So <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, because right. that's what it was. But if you're like, well, you know, how can we create something really disruptive and new and different? Or if you're already at the top. And you, you already are making the best quality thing. And you don't you want know. to get taken out, right? 
because someone yeah, else that, is going to yeah, come you, after you, need, you. Yeah, right, right. You need to think differently. Like you know, if you're already making you know, quote unquote, the a top quality product, a voice of the customer. I mean, sure, if if you improve, you know, like there's that I forget what it is, but it's like, you know, customers are, are endlessly wanting. So you know, if you give me a better quality product for the same price, um, sure, I'll take that. I mean, but then like, how does it help you create growth? I mean, you're just right. You're improving the quality of your existing product for existing customers that does not bring you growth. I mean, they're already happy. They're happy because they're already buying your product. So why are you improving the product for people who are already happy with your product? And you know they're happy with your product because they keep buying it. <laughs> you need to find the new ones. Like who exactly. doesn't know that they need this? And I think that's why probably understanding the customer, and let's say not voice of the customer, yeah. is yeah. obviously, you know, like that's a coined thing. We know what that means now. But this idea of knowing who your customer is and then having to figure out that there are people out there that aren't your customer, but that would be served by yes, whatever it yes, is that exactly. you do or whatever it is that you will do. So right? this is a great segue now to, to jobs to be done. So I think jobs to be done ask that question, why do people hire because they hire fire products or right how how and why do people adopt and abandon products and this is where it becomes now a theory because we're trying to basically describe the equation of product adoption and abandonment like you know what are the contributing factors that we believe come into play that cause someone to adopt something new or, or abandon what they're currently using what they were doing yeah yeah Well, that's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.